All right, folks, Duke Machado here, RNHA News Podcast. So thankful that you're tuned in tonight. We're talking about the Thanksgiving Eve. We're on on our duty tonight, uh, visiting with a new uh, candidate or someone that we haven't uh, uh, introduced our audience to yet, Mr. Mike Crawford, who is running for sheriff. Um, he is a Republican in Maricopa County, in Arizona, which is basically your Phoenix, Arizona uh, county. And from what I've seen, there's over 4,400,000 people who live in Maricopa County and obviously the the largest uh, population in Arizona. And we have a candidate for sheriff on tonight with us, Mike Crawford. Sir, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How's everybody doing out there? Hi. Yes, awesome. Well, we're excited. Uh, there, you know, your county has been in the news for so many years. Um, obviously, it's to me became it became on my radar when uh, the sheriff, their previous sheriff Joe Arpaio, was uh, doing his camps and and had these uh, jails out in the outdoors. You know, old times, a hard time with uh, th- that sheriff. Um, but then he lost at some point. Um, what happened? Yeah, what what happened? And, and why 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 did he? Uh, why why was he defeated initially? So in 2016, uh, Maricopa County is a battleground here. Uh, we're one of the really important areas for candidates all over the country. Uh, the national um, spotlight, uh, presidential campaigns, especially. Uh, Maricopa County delivered more uh, votes for Donald Trump in 2016 than 14 states did. Uh, we had, we carry a large uh, swing vote here. And at the same time, that same year, uh, the county flipped and uh, voted out a Republican sheriff and voted in a Democrat sheriff. And that current sheriff is uh, Paul Pinzone. And um, that's who I'm going to be. Uh, campaigning against or who I've been campaigning against one of the main reasons and this is my personal opinion um, and what I've heard from uh, my neighbors and friends here and prior to the 2016 elections there was a a very divisive lawsuit Um, ACLU and several plaintiffs sued the county uh, sheriff Joe Arpaio and the county sheriff's office and the county taxpayers for um, that administration was doing uh, immigration roundups and some things were not being done properly. And the ACLU and the plaintiffs won the lawsuit. So we're currently under a consent decree uh, ordered by a federal judge. And um, the oversight is being done by the ACLU and an independent monitor. With that, like most lawsuits, came a very, very high price tag that is having to be borne by the taxpayers here in Maricopa County. And at the end of fiscal 2020, that one lawsuit will have cost the taxpayers here $150 million. Mm. Yeah, that was a bad decision. Bad decision there to, to, to do that. I'm sure there were several rights yeah. violated, but um, just uh, you know, it's it's uh, something that's been on, what's well, been happening for years, but it's not necessarily talked about. Is uh, is profiling? The illegal profiling is um, profiling based on someone's race, color, religion, or sexual preference. The protected classes. Um, during these immigration raids, um, it was decided in the lawsuit and it's the Melendrez, if anybody wants to look it up, it's the Melendrez ACLU lawsuit versus, uh, Sheriff Arpaio, uh, Maricopa County. You can Google it and, and I suggest you don't print it. It's very lengthy, um, but go online and read it. It's the judge came down with a pretty clear decision. It's very well written and um, very well explained. It 
it goes into great detail about exactly the specific traffic stops. It's mainly focused on traffic stops and contacts with citizens here or people that were in Maricopa County, not necessarily citizens, and how they were treated um, and how it was decided that they were treated inappropriately and illegally by the judge. And from that, um, we have this consent decree is stemmed from that. The consent decree basically is a order from the judge that orders the sheriff's office to follow certain compliance issues and come within certain compliance issues, mostly dealing, uh, they center around exactly what the lawsuit was about. So it's racial profiling, traffic stops, how investigations were mishandled um, during that incident. So now there's very specific items that the sheriff's office has to comply with, with um, pertaining to how internal affairs investigations are, are processed, how they're overseen, um, how everything's monitored. And some of it's policy, um, training. Um, some training was found to be lacking. So there were orders in, in this uh, consent decree that the sheriff's office had to come within certain compliance of certain training aspects. And the, the biggest issue, um, so the taxpayers in 2016 spoke pretty loudly and clearly um, that they did not appreciate the huge levy on the taxpayer dollar here of the $150 million. But a lot of people don't know and don't realize that in that decree, because the ACLU and the independent monitor have to monitor the sheriff's office, the county has to pay for it. And when I say the county, I mean the county taxpayers. That money comes from we the people. The taxpayers have to pay that. It costs $30 million a year. The county has to write a check to the ACLU and the monitor to continue the monitoring of this consent decree. Wow, that's so that's total. Million. Yeah, that's total uh, pay, payola there. Um, someone's getting paid off, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, so the Maricopa County taxpayers are funding the ACLU, um, in my opinion, and paying for the monitoring of this consent decree to make sure that they are they get within compliance and then remain in compliance. The problem is they're still not in compliance, and they've had numerous years. The previous administration had several years to come within compliance and did not. This administration has had three years to come within compliance, and they're still not in full compliance. So the consent decree continues. Inside the lawsuit, the way it's written, and I appreciate the way it's written, it's very clear, once the sheriff's office comes within full compliance and it's agreed that they're in full compliance and show that they have been honorable and justified in what they're doing and they've come within compliance of the court order, it will time itself out. But until we reach full compliance, that won't start. So that $30 million a year anchor on the taxpayers is still in our wallet. Hmm. And what could be done with that $30 million throughout the county? Uh, obviously, there's a ton of things that uh, that could be done. So Yeah, $30 million a year is, is not a small um, chunk of change. So whenever this current sheriff took over the office, we had almost 1,000 sworn deputies. And here in Maricopa County, we've had a strong uh, volunteer sheriff's posse since the 1800s um, with the liberal policies of this sheriff, he, whenever he took office, he kicked ICE completely out of all the jails. They weren't able to process anybody to see if, what their immigration statuses were, which is legal in the jails. And he wasn't honoring any ICE detainers. Hmm. Since then, he, he is honoring some, but not all. He does allow three uh, ICE agents in the jails but in a county this size, this is, one, I believe, the fourth largest county in the United States. And we process a lot of people into the jail system every day. And in the main intake, there's only two ICE agents scanning everybody going through there to check their immigration status, all the people that have been arrested in the county, to see what their immigration status is. But this sheriff is still, he's a sanctuary sheriff. He's still not honoring all the detainers issued by ICE. Some people are still getting kicked out the back door. 
right back into the community where they can reoffend and disappear. So when when he was elected, it was because the people were uh, tired of Arpaio. Correct. And then so now he's he's been in in his position as sheriff, and he's taking things backwards and people are saying, okay, so we don't need an Arpaio, but we don't need this either. Where where do you fit in that? So where I fit in is I was a non-commissioned officer in the United States Air Force and received military um, leadership and training and was able to practice that in the military. Uh, The United States military is the pinnacle leader in teaching leadership and supervisory skills. Uh, From there, I went back home where I grew up in Farmington, New Mexico, in a rural area, just outside of Farmington, up in the Four Corners area. And I was hired by the sheriff's office there. I worked at the sheriff's office for five years. And then I moved here to the valley in uh, Arizona. And I've been... Uh, law enforcement here for 22 years. I'm currently a law enforcement officer still. So with my 27 years of law enforcement experience, uh, I've been a training officer. Um, I've been a leader of squads, been a leader of people. I lead from the front. I'm a boots on the ground kind of guy. I have my military leadership background. I have a clean record. I've been honored, um, awarded in my career. Uh, I didn't become a law enforcement officer to get rich or famous. Um, That's not why I'm running for sheriff. Something needs to be done. Um, I truly believe I'm the one to do it. I don't have all the skeletons in my closet that my opponents do. Um, Currently, Arpaio's running again to become sheriff. His chief deputy, Jerry Sheridan, is running also. They're basically the same thing. It's Joe and Joe 2.0 and me on the Republican ticket. And then the incumbent Democrat is running also. So I think the people of Maricopa County have a pretty clear choice of a very clean, responsible, experienced leader, uh, a leader in law enforcement with a clean record, with a good family. I have uh, three adult children and six grandchildren. And I'm ready to take over and bring the sheriff's office into full compliance and bring true leadership to the department and make Maricopa County Sheriff's Office a family again, where people can be, they trust each other and we can rebuild relationships. They're currently at about somewhere around four to 500 sworn deputies. It's, it's almost half the force that this sheriff started with. And then he decimated the posse system he had over 2,000 volunteers, and it's down to 250 now. They almost don't even exist. The county taxpayers are not getting the law enforcement services and the safety that they're paying for and that they deserve. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break visiting with Mike Crawford. He's Republican, and he's running for county sheriff in Maricopa County. That's in Arizona, folks. Uh, Tune in, and we'll be right back after this break. All right, folks, Duke Machado here, RNHA News, talking with Mike Crawford. He is a Republican running in Maricopa County. That's Arizona, Phoenix area. And we were talking during the break about how, you know, like you said, he is in law enforcement right now. You you are... um, in traffic situations pretty regularly? Yes, very often. You know, we were talking about some these videos. I don't know whether you've seen the videos where there's a confrontations between uh, open carry. Uh, some states have open carry. I don't know what, what the policy is there in, in your in your county, but, uh, you know, there's there seems to be a, a lack of knowledge of what the law really is there's always confrontation between police and the and the citizen and what i have seen is that sometimes the citizen has their rights stepped on because of the police officers 
lack of understanding of law. Have you seen that? Is that is that a common thing, or is that just a? It's common on the internet. I've, I've seen quite a few of the videos. Uh, different states and different jurisdictions have different laws. Arizona is a constitutional carry state, meaning if you're 21 years old, you can legally carry a handgun. In Arizona, you do not need a permit to carry a handgun concealed or open carry. It's your choice. Wow. You don't need to get a firearms license. Necessarily, you don't have to get any training, which some people are concerned about. But here as free citizens and free Americans, if you wish, if you're 21 and not a felon and you meet all the legal requirements by the federal government to possess a firearm and your rights haven't been taken away, you can carry a handgun concealed or open carry, and that's in your home, in your vehicle, or out in public. It's a constitutional carry state, and I'll do everything I can to make sure that it stays that way. I believe in the Second Amendment exactly the way it's written. If people don't understand the Second Amendment, I suggest they read it and then read it again, and that's it. There's nothing to add to it. It's written very clearly and very specifically. Pay really close attention to the commas. They separate the thoughts in the Second Amendment, and people should be allowed, citizens of the United States should be allowed to carry however they feel. If, if you're elected, how, how how do you talk to your deputies? You said there's over 500. You have over 500 of them? Currently, there's around 500 sworn deputies. We're, we need to get it back up to 1,000 or a bit more now that the county's growing. So fast. What percentage of those deputies do you think uh, would welcome a change? I believe all of them would. Mm. Uh, the, the leadership style that I'll be bringing is one of friendship and open sharing and a true, clear mission. In my 27 years in law enforcement, I treat everybody the same. I treat them like I would a family member. When I approach someone in uniform, I realize that I'm the front line of the government. I'm, I'm the government that most people see and deal with on a regular basis. And I tell people very often, I work for you. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to solve all your problems. That's not the government's job, but I work for you. It reminds them that they are we the people, that they are in charge of the government. And it reminds me that I am the government and I work for the people. It keeps me grounded and I offer better service, better customer service, I guess, in that situation because it reminds me that I'm working for these people. Their taxes pay my salary. Their will as we the people, their voting power and their power of we the people give the states the rights and then the states give the federal government its power. So these people are the top of the chain in, in the power structure. Every citizen in the United States is the boss. And when I'm in my role as a government official, I work for them. And I will bring that philosophy and that mission to the entire office and every employee to remind them that we work for the people. We are there to deliver customer service. We're there to help them with, as being the government. We have resources where we can assist people with whatever issue they're having. But we're, as the government, we're not there to solve all the problems for them. We're there to help them, and that's what we do. And that's our role in society is to help people. That's the whole reason we're, we're doing what we're doing. It's a calling. We don't, people don't go into law enforcement to get rich, trust me. We don't do it for the accolades. Um, just look in the local paper or the national paper. We're, we're, we're beat up constantly, but we continue to show up every day on time, and we get to calls as soon as we can so that we can help people the best way we can and deliver the best service we can and help actually help people. 
that's what we do, and that's that's going to be our complete focus is helping people. Walk me through a situation here. Um, let's say uh, I'm an illegal immigrant and I'm driving in Phoenix, and I'm swerving a little bit, and um, I get pulled over by the sheriff department. What's the first thing that happens okay. in that scenario? How does that? How does that? Let's go through a hypothetical on the situation. A hypothetical traffic stop. Yes. Okay. So if, if if I was making a hypothetical traffic stop, say you swerved out of your lane, mm-hmm. um, we'd make the stop. You pull over. I walk up. First thing I do is introduce myself professionally because that's number one. Mm-hmm. Be professional. My name is Deputy. Let's say in this instance, my name is Deputy Crawford. I'm with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. I noticed you were swerving out of your lane. Explain the stop and let them know up front exactly why you're pulling them over. So immediately, I immediately I respond yep. and, and you, you smell alcohol on my breath. Okay. So I would ask for your license, registration, and insurance. I don't, I don't are, have it. I don't have it. required to be provided. I don't have it. You, you don't have you, your license? You, you, you okay. don't, I don't have to give you anything. Okay. Um, you are required to give me your driver's license. Why don't you have your driver's license with you? I left it at home. Is the question over there. Okay. Can I get your last name and first name, please? No. Okay. At this point, if, if this was the situation and a person was not wanting to respond with their name, and date of birth, which they are required by law to do. And I'm smelling alcohol. I have visual cues of impairment possibility mm-hmm. with the swerving. And then I'm smelling alcohol in your scenario. I would ask the person out of the car. Yeah. Which in Arizona and most places, when a law enforcement officer asks someone out of the car, they are required by law to get out of the car. Mm-hmm. If the person complies, then we would walk over to a safe area out of traffic, and then the investigation would continue. If they refuse, I would most likely have backup already in route. But they're, get, they're getting, you're, you're pulling them out of the car. Yes. Essentially, yeah. So, so I said, okay, 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 fine. Okay, fine. I'll get out. I'll get out. And, and I get okay. out. And um, you look through the car, and there's no evidence of anything. So at that time, I wouldn't look through the car. I have no justification to. Mm. I have no right. So I would have the person come out, and we'd walk to a safe area. Maybe there's a sidewalk on the side of the road. We'd walk to the sidewalk, and then I would continue with my investigation um, and check for impairment, and then delve further into the person's identity. Mm Mm-hmm. I would not ask them if they're here legally or illegally. At that point, I really don't care. Mm. I'm looking at traffic infractions and actual violations of the law. My Mm. job as a local law enforcement officer really isn't to enforce immigration law. My focus is to enforce the local laws and the state laws and ensure that people are traveling safely and driving safely or they're safe in their homes or or what's going on. My primary focus is not immigration. I have too many other things to do and there's immigration enforcement to do that. Now, as we go through the stop, if somebody doesn't have a driver's license, I'll ask them why. If through standardized, normal questioning, um, why don't you have a driver's license? And they say, well, I, I, I don't have one. I never have. And I'll ask them, you're driving why don't you have a license and if they tell me it's because they're illegal or they're not they don't have a social security number that's usually a pretty good clue i know if they don't have a social security number that usually almost always means that they're maybe here illegally but that's not my primary concern my primary concern is that they're driving without a license Mm -hmm. or in this scenario they may be driving impaired Now, if they were arrested for an offense and then they're taken to the jail, immigration's enforcement is at the jail and would do their processing there. 
that's mm. the way I prefer it to be mm-hmm. done. So you're not judging the the person at that moment uh, on whether they're legal or illegal. You're saying let's deal no, with I'm, this legal. Let's deal with this issue here, and then correct if if it goes to the point where you take them to the jail, then at that point it's kind of off your hands. Correct, and it's handled by the authorities that are trained properly and have access to the immigration um, data processing centers and all of their data cache that maybe they can find out if the person was previously deported, if the person has been convicted of other crimes as an illegal immigrant mm-hmm. in the past, and they they maybe have um, a warrant out for them, a federal warrant looking for them for immigration issues. That's their investigation. My investigation is for local crimes. You don't want your local law enforcement out doing immigration enforcement. Honestly, we have enough to do locally, and I handle the crimes that I see. I don't judge people. If somebody, if their skin is brown, blue, green, yellow, I don't care. That, that never comes into the equation with me. Everyone gets treated equally. Equal justice is paramount to true law enforcement because if we don't treat everyone the same, we are wrong. I handle the issues that I have in front of me. If the person's swerving, if the person doesn't have a driver's license, those are local laws that I take care of. Now, if the person gets arrested for for driving on a suspended privilege, because there's, there's many times that someone can never have had a driver's license, but if they get stopped enough and get enough citations for driving without a license, the state will suspend their privilege to drive in the state. So you, you don't even have to have a license. They can suspend your privilege. In our jurisdiction here, that is a misdemeanor that they can be arrested for. If the officer decides to arrest them for the misdemeanor of driving on a suspended privilege and they get taken to the jail, then they could be screened by immigration enforcement. And they would check their immigration status because that's what they're trained to do. And that's what their primary focus is. is. And it takes the burden off of me. I'm not profiling anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and really that the book that comes down to training your your deputies to have that sort of a mindset as well. Um, and that's that's exactly the root of it. They have to be trained properly, and they have to have a clear mission and a clear focus. From the top down, exactly how to handle themselves, how to conduct themselves professionally, and as an agency, what is our mission, what is our goal, and who are we as an agency and as a law enforcement family? Who are we at the root, at our core? What are our root beliefs? Our root beliefs are everyone should be treated equally. Everyone should be treated professionally and given the best service possible because we work for them. Yeah. And that's exactly the way it's written in the Constitution. We the people. It doesn't say we the, insert quotes, whatever race, color, creed people get all these rights and others don't. It says we the people. That's it. Everyone. All right, folks, we're going to take a break here, having a great, great conversation about the situation in Maricopa, Maricopa County. Um, Mike Crawford on the line with us. We'll be right back after this message. All right, folks, Duke Machado, RNHA News Podcast, talking with Mike Crawford, Republican candidate running for sheriff in Maricopa County, Arizona. So, is I take it there's Indian uh, Indian land in in your county. There are uh, four reservations that intercede in the jurisdiction of Maricopa County. So, if if something happens in in the reservation, can you go in or no? Yes, we can. And um, from my from my past, when I was with the sheriff's office in New Mexico, 
a large portion of our county was on the Navajo Indian Reservation. So reservations are federal land, um, native peoples. So say it's a Apache reservation. If a Navajo Indian is on the Apache reservation, they are still protected because they're on federal land. If an Anglo or non-native protected person is on federal land, they are subject to the same laws, just like as if they were in the county. They're not protected because they're on the reservation. So just because you're on a reservation doesn't, it's not ollie ollie oxen free, you're not on home base. Um, and you can only be enforced by tribal law. If you're not a tribal member of any tribe, if an Alaskan tribal member is here in Arizona on tribal lands, they are protected. They would have to be handled through a federal agency or the tribal police. Hmm. If a non-native person's on the reservation, say, um, say I was, say, just say for instance, I got pulled over for speeding on the Taona Odom Indian Reservation here, um, I could get a citation by a DPS officer or a sheriff's officer because I'm not a protected person on that land. So I would be subject to the local laws because it falls within the state, within the county. I would fall under the state or county laws. You know, so there are many times when the sheriff um, department does respond to assist the tribal agencies. And then if it's determined that the person is a tribal um a tribal person and they're protected then it would be a situation where they would be handled by the tribal police if it's a person that's non-tribal then many times the tribal police will call the sheriff's office to assist because we would have jurisdiction over that person on that land that's crazy <clears throat> that's <clears throat> that's a very interesting dynamic when you're uh, just trying to do police work <laughs> you know it can be. You're ask and a lot it's, of questions. It's a jurisdictional thing we run into a lot. Wow. Um, I had to. Oh, I have to think about this question. I should have written it down here. Hold on one second. Oh, okay. So a couple things. When. Let me see here. <clears throat> let's come. Let's go with this one first. Today's, uh, I, I look at uh, today's news and it seems to me like there's a lot of talk about over-policing, uh, where police is, they're over-equipped, over-armed, uh, they have their SWAT equipment, they have tanks, you know, things like that, and and people, people kind of feel sometimes that that's too much, that's too much uh, power or too much force to use against citizen the citizenry um what are your thoughts on swat uh, the swat department there in maricopa county uh, what does it need uh, what what might uh, you do to improve it so swat the actual word swat is special weapons and tactics and some of them are called ERU, Emergency Response Unit. It comes with a lot of different acronyms, but in, in, in the name, it says pretty clearly what it is, special weapons and tactics. They're special for special occasions. These guys don't drive around in tanks all the time looking for trouble. They're only called out for specific issues where someone with maybe a high-capacity um, large caliber weapon is attacking us, we call in SWAT to handle that specific, very specific tactical situation because that's they have special equipment and special weapons and special training, maybe an armored uh, vehicle so that they can get in a, uh, a closer tactical position to address the threat and save lives, save citizens and officers' lives. So a lot of it comes down to training. A lot of it comes down to uh, what you see in the media, and I call them the media because they sell advertisement and they sell an agenda. 
and a lot of what we see on the mainstream media and things are special circumstances that get blown out of proportion and they don't really represent what's actually going on so they generate a lot of hype and a lot of clickbait as it is on very specific small situations that do occur and they blow it out of proportion and they make you know blanket statements on things that just really are not a lot of times true and the perception a lot of people think, you know, that officers nowadays are, are hated and, and that people are throwing rotten tomatoes at us and, and, and flipping us off all the time. And I can tell you, in the area I work, is absolutely the exact opposite. Um, people come up and hug me all the time. People all day long thank me for my service. People in traffic, I'll be sitting at a traffic light, and someone will wave at me, and I roll my window down, and they thank me for my service and tell me to have a good day. Um, now that it's coming up on the holidays, people are telling me, um, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, God bless you, thank you so much for what you're doing. People offer to buy me my lunch all the time. It, it, people hug me, pray over me. Um, that's that's a fun one. Um, you'll be in uniform and stop at the gas station and get a beverage, and somebody will walk up and say, officer, I really appreciate what you're doing out there. Can I pray for you? And absolutely, um, I let them. And I really enjoy that. And I, I love those kind of interactions. So what you're seeing in the mainstream media are clickbait issues and things that they blow out of proportion to draw traffic so they can sell advertising. And people need to remember that. Um, don't always believe what you see on the TV or in the, in the media because they're advancing an agenda a lot of times and um, selling advertising. Look at what's actually going on around you and pay attention, and you'll see the world for what it really is. Well, one thing that's interesting that's going to change your line of work is that President Trump uh, says he's going to label the cartels as a terrorist organization. Correct. You have, you have a cartel activity in Maricopa County, don't you? we do we are a border state and there is a large quantity of drugs and human trafficking that filter through here maricopa county is actually in my opinion a hub um a lot of times well every day drugs and and human trafficking is going on they're running across the border and straight into maricopa county where there's stash houses for the human trafficking. Um, they're holding people here and calling and holding them hostage for ransoms. They're calling families all over in um, South America to send them money so that they'll release them. Um, they're calling their families here in the United States or family contacts and asking for money and holding them hostage uh, 20 or 30 at a time in a house. And there's also stash houses for large quantities of drugs. Right now we're having a huge incursion on the fentanyl and um, prescription-looking pills. Um, it's Right now, 20% of those pills that come over the border are fatal. These people are making these in um, warehouses and basements and, and dug out holes in the ground, and they're not pharmacists, and they're not measuring very well. Most of them are probably under the influence of the drugs they're making. And so when they mix up their batch of pills... Some of them are not paying attention to the recipe too close. And 20% of these fentanyl pills that are coming across the border, these little blue pills, are actually, you pop one pill, it's a fatal dose, it'll kill you. And they're coming over by the hundreds of thousands a day. They come into Maricopa County, and then they're spread all over the country from here. We have a rail system. Uh, we have a large interstate highway system, and it gets shipped out all over the into Canada, um, Washington, New York, Texas, all over the place from here. And until we get a handle on the drug trafficking and the human trafficking that's going on here in Maricopa County, we're going to continue with these problems. All this is funded by the cartels. So they are working here in Maricopa County with the declaration um, by our president. If he makes these cartels 
a he's classifying him a, a terrorist organization that's going to bring federal crimes so when they get arrested for whatever they're doing here if it's human smuggling or drug smuggling and we find out that they have ties to the cartel ms-13 or or you know, any of these low, uh, border cartels we can hold them on our charges and then inform the feds the feds come in and charge them federally and there's enhanced penalties and crimes and then obviously they get um, filtered through with immigration and they check their immigration status and then they, there's enhanced penalties and, and crimes that go with that. You know, but the the one thing that bothers me sometimes is how long do we uh, keep them? And how long do we um, feed them? Um, how long do they stay in our system? How long do they cost the taxpayer? That's a good question, and, and that is up to the judges almost a hundred, almost a hundred percent of the time. So, when a judge decides, like currently, say say somebody gets arrested for a DUI or a warrant or just a local misdemeanor crime, it's up to the judge if they get set for bond and what that bond is, or if they get released on their own recognizance, or if the charges are dropped and they're just released. Or if they're held without bond, that's that's up to the, the the judge. So as a sheriff, I would have really no control over that. But once the judge decides that, then if ICE has placed a detainer on them, um, a, the 48-hour federal detainer, if the person is being held on bond, they're still held on that bond. If they make bond, if they put up their bond or, or with cash or, or collateral, whatever, and they have an ICE detainer, then they get turned over to ICE. But the sheriff has to hold them on that detainer and inform ICE to come get them. If the sheriff doesn't do that, and we're seeing that all over the country right now, there's local law enforcement are just kicking them out the door and not telling ICE at all. Or in some of the situations that had been happening here a couple years ago, this sheriff would call ICE and say, hey, we're releasing them. They're on um, 4th Ave on the south side of the jail. Come get them. And they would shove them out the door. And, you know, ICE can't respond that fast. And they're they're trying to run up and down the street snatching people. And it's just, it's not safe for the officers. It's not safe for the people that are getting arrested because now they're running out into traffic and trying to get away, you know. that It's just, that is not reasonable. Mm-hmm. And law enforcement is based on what's reasonable. And that is just not reasonable. So, we hold the people in a safe area, and ICE picks them up, and they take them to the immigration's um, holding facility, and then they're on the federal dime, basically. They're off of the local taxpayer, not being held here locally. And then they go through the federal immigration system, and then it's up to immigrations if they're deported immediately or if they're detained, and they see a judge for a hearing, and that judge decides what their immigration status is going to be, if they're going to a federal judge decides then if they're going to be deported or held, um, detained on some other charge, and then released. You know, I mean, mm. so in a lot of these situations, it's up to the judges. Mm. What is the uh, crazy? So that's where it comes. No, no, that, that's a. That's <laughs> it's great information. You know, to to someone who wants to know the answers to some of these questions, this is a great content. So I I, I love your. Your very specific and thorough explanations—it's great—and lets people know kind of how you think uh, in in your your process. Uh, but I was going to ask you, what's the craziest thing you've seen um, on in the line of duty? Oh man, twenty-seven years—craziest thing. I've seen people running naked down the street. <laughs> um, I've seen. Oh, I've seen people hanging out of cars. I've seen people shooting at people. I've, you know, so some of it goes from some of the most horrible things you can see and imagine to some of the most amazing things. Like um, three, four days ago, I had a lady outside of a gas station, and the reason I had mentioned it is because it, it was fresh on my mind. A lady walked up, and and she was so thankful that I was there, and and she actually stood and prayed over me in in the in the parking lot right in front of a gas station. Um, that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That is crazy awesome, you know. So we see some amazing things, and we see a lot of times 
being an officer is really tough. We see people at their worst moment in their life. Their car was just stolen. Their house just got burglarized. Somebody just stole their dog. Um, they were just in a family fight. Um, they were just in a car accident. I mean, you know, a lot. Of, that's a lot of the things that we deal with. But we have to stay positive because I'm there to help that person get through that situation. Today I responded to a three-car accident. Two of the people were transported to the hospital. The lady at the very end, the one that didn't get transported, she was pretty shaken up. And, and I stood there for a minute. And she actually kind of leaned her head on my shoulder and cried for a minute. And I stood there with her while she gathered her thoughts and, and emotionally got herself together. And I, I made sure I went through all the paperwork with her, explained everything to her clearly, and asked her if she had any questions. And when she didn't, and I knew that she was emotionally okay to carry on and go about her day, because I'm concerned. She's a human being. I'm, I'm concerned about her. That's why I'm there is to handle the accident and clear the scene, obviously, make sure everybody's safe. If anybody's injured, they get transported to the hospital and treated properly. But there's also the human aspect where I have to make sure that everybody's okay, mentally and physically. So, you know, a lot of times I'll, I have to stand there and hold someone's hand while they cry. Maybe their relative just died or, or committed suicide. It's coming into the holidays, and it's a terrible time for us. Um, suicide rates increased uh, drastically around this time of year. So we, I, I've stood and held someone's hand and, and, and until they just cried themselves out um, just to be there with them mm. to help them get through their day well, and get through that horrible incident that's happened in their life. The, the, the people definitely need a sheriff who has compassion and also understands what's currently uh, what it's currently like to be on the street um to be dealing with the people in in the issues directly like like you're doing you, you, i think you have an advantage in, with that for sure i uh, do and, and and that's why i think i'm the best candidate right now especially um my opponents are administrators Mostly, they've been in the office for 20 years or more behind a desk. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of leader, and I won't be. I'm a, like I said, I'm boots on the ground. I, I will continue to be out on the street. I'll work shifts in the jail. I'll work night shifts. Um, on holidays, I'll do just like I do now. I'll go find uh, officer, a younger officer with kids on Christmas Day. And tell him you go home to your family. I'll cover your shift. Hmm. I'll send them home to their family, and I'll cover their shift. My my kids are grown. I have grandkids now, but you know their parents can take care of that, and I'll see them later on. I'll I'll send a younger officer home to be with their family, and to spend that holiday time. And but most importantly, I'm going to be out on the street in the communities all the time. I'm everywhere, and it, that's going to continue. Is there I don't enough? Know what's actually going on? I can't do anything about it. Is there enough uh, in the budget to do the things that need to be done for the sheriff's department? There is, and there can be some adjustments made. But um, and once the consent decree is fully complied with, where we should be, a lot of it, and a lot of it's not crazy stuff. Some of it's you know body cameras. Um, Everybody was all up in arms, and the media was up in arms. Officers need to be recorded all the time. And then, so we all got issued body cameras. I've worn one for years. I know firsthand exactly how they work, how they're activated, when they're activated, how policy works, how the evidence is saved, how it's logged. I do it. A lot of these guys don't understand. They just understand policy. I've actually done it. I understand it. I know it. And... Now you see cries that, oh, the officer's recording everybody, and it's, it's violating our rights. Well, what do you want? You know? Yeah, you want it recorded I, or I'm not? Sorry that yeah. I'm, recording, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm recording myself all the time, and it shows that I am justified, and I didn't say what that person is accusing me of. They're the ones that are actually lying or, or making up stories. Um, I'm not saying that always happens. Yeah. Cameras have caught officers doing bad things. 
and that's great. Mm-hmm. If officers are doing things that are wrong, we need to know about it so it can be addressed immediately because maybe that officer doesn't need to be on the road. Maybe that officer doesn't need to be an officer. Or maybe it's a training issue we need to address if it's a minor thing. But we need to know what's going on. And I think body cameras are great. So one of the issues with the consent decree is the deputies making travel stops, they all have to have body cameras. So they are recorded. So if there is an issue or somebody makes a complaint, it's on video with audio. And there's no um, cover-ups. There's no question about what actually happened. There's the officer's side. There's the violator's side. And then there's the video. Yeah, yeah. That's a game changer. I would totally want... Uh, want video for my own protection, the, the way things are out there. That's for sure. Uh, so and I'll tell you, I love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, we're at the end of our program, so I'm going to do like I always do and give you a final uh, opportunity to address your voters um, in your area. Okay. Why? Why you? All right. Tell me when. Go. So I thank everybody for listening. We're coming into the holiday season. God bless everyone. Have a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. Everybody travel safely. My name is Mike Crawford. I'm working very hard to become your next sheriff here in Maricopa County, Arizona. I'm the constitutional, conservative, Republican candidate for sheriff of Maricopa County. Together we can make Maricopa County safe again. We can make Maricopa County Sheriff's Office a family again. God bless. Thank you, everyone. Awesome. Mike, I appreciate you for calling in and sharing your story and getting the word out about your campaign. You've got, uh, like, like you said, your your county is a critical uh, county for President Trump, and uh, it, he needs support. He needs people like you. So I uh, appreciate yeah, your call. The article I read yesterday, there's, there's six battlegrounds, and Arizona is one of them. Mm. It always is, and it's Maricopa County. Yeah, it's a game changer so for sure. Maricopa County. Over 200 people a day move into Maricopa County, and that's been going on for three years in a row. Wow. We're the fastest-growing county in the United States. Mm. The fastest-growing city in the United States is here in Maricopa County. It's Buckeye. It's one of our outlying cities. And we're larger than 11 states, and we delivered more Republican votes for Donald Trump than 14 states. So this is this area is massive. In uh, 2016, I, we didn't really get to cover it too much, but um, George Soros funded our current sheriff, the Democrat, with $3.2 million. So that's what I'm up against. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, what's your website? It's CrawfordForSheriff.com or on Facebook. It's Mike Crawford for Sheriff. Awesome. Here again, Mike, I appreciate you calling in and joining us here on the program, RNHA News Podcast. I'm Duke Machado, and we're out of here. <laughs>